Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studio, it's time for the GNFCC 400 Insider. Connect, build, and grow with the Greater North Fulton Chamber of Commerce. Hello and welcome to the GNFCC 400 Insider, the monthly radio show and podcast presented by the Greater North Fulton Chamber. I'm Callie Boatwright, President and CEO of the Chamber. And today we are discussing the 2022 North Fulton Economic Outlook with our guest, Ian Wyatt. Ian is the Principal Economist with the Metro Atlanta Chamber. Ian, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I think we would be best started with uh, hearing a little bit about your background and what led you to your position with our friends over at MAC at the Metro Atlanta Chamber. Happy to. Um, So I actually joined from Bank of America, where I spent a decade in commercial lending. So it's kind of funny. Now I'm obviously an incredibly public role in banking, there's an really private side and public side. So I was behind that Chinese wall. I would often talk to a thousand people there, but I was not allowed to talk to clients. Uh, But I I worked in strategy and analytics, did a lot of competitive intelligence, ran an industry risk team for a while. So, And Bank of America, if you don't realize it, has about a $400 billion commercial loan book. So it's, it's the largest commercial lender out there lending to companies. That's what commercial lending means, basically. It's just you're lending to companies, not people. And so I got to know a lot of our clients, a lot of their issues, and I had a pretty deep understanding of how do companies think about stuff. Prior to that, actually, I, I worked at the Bureau of Labor Statistics, which normally sounds very boring, but all of a sudden now with the unemployment rate really low, we're hearing all these obscure surveys in terms like labor force participation rate, JOLT survey. And all of some people are interested in a topic that most people find boring a lot of the time. So that was where I started my career. And I also, while I was there, I picked up a master's degree in economics. So I have a master's from uh, Johns Hopkins. So did I just hear you say that you were a nerd for a while and now you're really cool because everybody's <laughs> catching on? Is that kind of what we're saying here? I'm a stealth nerd. I'm like, like under, under underneath my outfit, it's, it's like a Superman, but nerd costume. I like it. That's fabulous. Well, <laughs> I think that's great for what we're talking about. Most people, if they hear about what's going on with an economic outlook get set for, you know, kind of being <laughs> lulled to sleep over the next 30 minutes. But um, one thing I know about you is you, you've actually got game, right? You've got some jokes. So I think this is going to be lots of fun. Um, I want to start just looking at sort of an overview. We've had a crazy two years. We've had COVID and then inflation and all the other things that came along with that. So I was going to ask you to kind of just give us a broad overview um, from a macroeconomic forecast for 2022 in North Fulton? I think, first of all, just just level set here, Atlanta's in an incredibly good position right now. We are really outperforming the nation's economy we have over the last couple of years. I think part of this seems like we're in this moment where all these tech companies want to locate here. We're getting a lot of tech people, tech companies here, professional services, a whole range of companies. And it seems like, hey, this is luck. This is just sort of, whoa, we are having our moment. And to a certain extent, there's a little bit of truth in that. But a whole lot of it is very intentional. It's things like developing Georgia Tech, developing Midtown, working at Kennesaw State, really improving a lot and moving up in the rankings. And companies are seeing this. They're seeing the the assets that Atlanta has and being attracted to it. So I'd first of all say that Atlanta's outperforming the country. I think realistically for the country, um, GDP growth is probably going to slow a little bit this year. It's not, we, we're more in a rebound stage. We're really at an unsustainable growth rate or just 
you know, getting too hot. We're running our engine too hot. Um, we have to cool it off a little bit, but hopefully not too much. Um, that's always the balancing act the Fed does. I think three and a, three to four percent growth is probably a realistic estimate for this year. And Atlanta will outpace that by a little bit just because fundamentally we are growing a little faster than country is. We're a little younger. We have some good demographics in our favor as well. Um, right now, though, you know, challenges I see is, you know, the labor market. Yeah. Um, everyone's having the great, you know, all those resignations out there. <laughs> oh, I mean, no, don't I, say it. The great resignation. Yes. It is definitely true. It's a thing. We are dealing with it at Mac just mm-hmm. as much as we are hearing it from every company in the Atlanta region. And, you know, it's it's not unique to Atlanta by any means. Um, so it's, it's a challenge. I think there's some other, a couple other issues we'll touch on as we go on too, that I think are going to be challenges going forward. We need to think about. Absolutely. You know, you mentioned Atlanta and of course the colleges, and I think that's also lending itself to another thing that was a focus over the last couple of years with DEI, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so obviously the Atlanta market having some great HBCUs and certainly a, a great diverse population in the city, I think has lended itself to some of those companies looking at us and giving us maybe a second look. So I think that's actually weighing in our favor as well. Oh, definitely. We are definitely hearing that from companies. I mean, you look at some of that data, we have some of the most diverse tech talent pool of anywhere. Um, and in terms of not just, oh, we, we have Asian and white people in our tech pool. Um, right. That would sort of, that's often a proxy for diversity, but no, we have a large African-American tech population. Um, and I think not only do we have those HBCUs, but some of these local colleges, the bigger state universities like Georgia State, here's a crazy stat. The most African-American graduates of any school in the country that isn't a for-profit. Really? Uh, yeah. Number one. So, you know, I often tell companies, you know, they're, they're looking at Morehouse and Spelman. They're great schools. The H- our HBCUs are amazing schools and they're recruiting there. I said, look at Kennesaw State. Mm-hmm. Look at Georgia, Georgia. State. Um, you'll get a lot of you know, kids who, who work their way through school, gritty kids. Um, so I, I think I think there's a lot of tech talent here and you just need to look a little little broader Absolutely. than some companies have been. Well, okay. So in the middle of, of everything that's been going on, you know, you've got your good, all the things that have happened, you know, during this time. Um, and then you've got inflation. Um, and I, you know, I hear a lot of people, both, you know, individuals and companies talking about that right now. Can you maybe cast a light on what you think is going to happen this year? Maybe levels at where we are now? Yeah. So we were at about, I can't remember what the race number is, six, 7% as a country in inflation in the last, last time. Um, mm-hmm. And Atlanta was at 9.8 of oh. any metro area. We had the highest inflation. So 9.8, which is a crazy number. Um, we don't want to win that stat. No, no. Not, not, not an area we want to win. Um, I think Phoenix is up there with us, um, You know, basically tied. They were at 9.7. That's not really a real difference numerically. Mm-mm. I think there are a couple of things going on there. Why is Atlanta outpacing the country? One, we've outpaced it in terms of job growth. So like the Fed probably would have raised rates if the country looked like Atlanta. We are doing better in unemployment than any of the any of our peer markets by a, probably a full percentage point. So what that means, though, is the labor market's tighter. It's harder to find people. So you raise salaries, and then you're going to have to raise prices to pay for stuff. So that's some of it. I think one of the big pieces I, I really do worry about, and this is a national problem, too, and Atlanta's much better than the nation in some ways, is housing affordability. Okay. Um, we really have had deterioration housing affordability. Buying a house in Atlanta, the, 
the Atlanta Fed publishes this cool index, super interactive. I recommend going to the website. You can go down to like a county level and they'll say, can the median person afford a median house? And Atlanta basically is right on the cusp of not being affordable. Um, no area west of Texas would they consider affordable. Literally not a single metro area west oh of Texas. Goodness. And Austin, Dallas, Houston also fail that metric. Um, so, so the point is we have deterioration. But, you know, relatively speaking, we're still relatively affordable, but we want to maintain that that ranking. That's a big thing getting companies here. I mean, yeah, yeah well, you move here. You have a decent lifestyle. You get to, you know, live near a golf course, have a nice house, um, all those kind of things that you couldn't afford in New Jersey or San Francisco or wherever you're coming from. And I think I think it is it's getting a bit weaker. And so part of what we need to do, we just haven't built enough housing since 08. We aren't even close to what we were building back in the 2000s. Yeah, that inventory issue certainly is is a real thing. But, um, you know, I hear people all the time saying, uh, you know, the, how, how much their homes have gone up, you know, the investment in their homes, of course, which if you have a home currently, you know, you're looking at and thinking you've just won the lottery. The problem with that is, is that going to go back? I mean, you know, I've heard heard different folks talk about different things. I think most frequently what I hear is we're finally level setting with the rest of the country because Atlanta has always been a, a good deal for buying a new home. I Yeah, we, we're getting a little closer to the rest of the country, but I don't think we have to be the same as the rest of the country. Right. I think we aren't making the same mistakes like California's property tax initiative from the 80s that basically really disincentivized localities from approving housing. Um, and you look, I mean, my cousins live in the Bay Area. They live in Palo Alto. My my first cousin. It's a nightmare if you grow up there trying to stay there unless you get some job at Google paying you, you know, $500,000 a year. I mean, one of my friends is an orthopedist, orthopedic surgeon. One of his friends, also an orthopedic surgeon, left the Bay Area because he said he felt poor and or middle surgeon, class. He said yes. he was middle class. And he's like, I'm making $500,000 a year. Because that's what it takes to live there, right? And it's ridiculous. Yeah. And so we don't want to become that. And so I think we don't have to, and we can make a choice to build more. We have the space. Um, I think we can make a change on that. Sure. Yeah. Well, and you mentioned as part of the conversation about inflation, our unemployment rate. So let's go there because I think that is one that we're winning, which sounds good, but it comes with its own set of problems. So we know our unemployment rate is lower than it's ever been um, in Atlanta is better than the country. So maybe tell us a little bit about today's labor market and what you're seeing. A um, couple things. I think, first of all, yes, we, we haven't, this is not really precedent. There's no precedent for Atlanta being this much lower than the country before. I mean, our labor force is a little younger and a couple of their demographic things. Typically older labor forces have lower unemployment rates because people don't switch jobs as much. They don't quit. You know, you're 20, you don't have responsibilities. You can say, forget this job. I'm quitting. I don't know. And, you know, if you're living with your parents, you don't have rent to pay. No big deal. All of a sudden, you're 45 and have two kids and a right. mortgage. It's a little different story. And it just is the nature of being older. People tend to switch more, less, I mean. So, yeah, it's it's a um, – we should be, in fact, a little higher. Our natural rate, you'd call it the natural rate of unemployment, should be a little higher. In fact, we're lower. Um, and it just shows you how hot right now Atlanta is. Um and also, actually, not as many people here left the labor force as other states. So, you know, they always talk about, you know, how many people quit right. the labor force. And a lot of older folks did around the country. I don't know how many of those are coming back. Um, we do have issues with, say, middle-aged women. A lot of them left. I mean, there were, it's, it's not huge, but it was enough where it mattered. Uh, and obviously there, I think we really need to deal with some of the child care challenges. 
uh, and younger men, and they are coming back. Um, the really the population where I'm hearing from some employers where there's opportunity is those those teenagers. Mm-hmm. Um, for a long time, 16 to 19 year olds. You look at the long run trend back in the 80s and 70s. A lot of them were working. They were you know working at McDonald's or whatever else. And a lot of them now, you know, partly this reflects what employers and colleges are looking for. We'll do like maybe the unpaid internship or whatever enrichment thing in summer, but they're not you know doing the burger flipping traditional right. Job but we did. Yep. I, I, yeah, I worked 100%. at Little Caesars for me. I, I was, I made pizzas. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So it, it is there, but the rise in wages there we're seeing, I think there's a little more cynicism about the value of college we're seeing now. And um, yeah, those kids, kids are working, but mm-hmm. the other problem we have is fundamentally demographics. We've had a lot less immigration in the last few years. And the number of, you know, 18 to 24, two year olds, like people basically in college, the prime college years, they're smaller than the group before them, you know, and the group before that, you know, the, the millennials Mm -hmm. are a bigger generation than Gen Z. Right. And so, you know, the number of graduates we're getting each year, and then we have our formerly our biggest generation, uh, I guess a few have passed away. So it's, it's no longer the biggest generation, the, the, um, the um, baby boomers, yeah. they're in those prime retirement years. So we need to replace them with those younger folks. And we're just not, we just don't have enough of them realistically. Yeah. And I'm in that Gen X pool that if you look at, it's smaller than certainly the the group before it, the baby boomers and, you know, the, the silent generation or, or uh, the, the generation before that was so large, you know, each year it gets smaller. It, it's, it's hard to replace that many people. And I think that's what it gets at. I will also assume since you said middle-aged women are, you know, uh, dropping out of the, the labor market, you know, we've heard for the last year and a half about the she session, right? A lot of women who uh, are having to do that because of the childcare situation. Um, and I know you've got some stats around childcare too. I mean, we're, we're really nationally in a, in a bad place from a childcare standpoint. Yeah. I think, I think the number is about 110,000 fewer women or fewer people are working in childcare right now. Um, I, I have a five-year-old and a nine-year-old. Yeah. I feel this pain. Um, I, I, I remember for a while when they were younger, uh, my wife and I always called childcare our other mortgage um, yeah. because it really was on par with what we pay on mortgage. Um, I think a lot of people who don't have kids in that younger bracket don't quite realize what a stress it can be financially. Yeah. Um, well, and I think that's, I mean, if you've got 110,000 people fewer in that doing that job, right? Doing childcare, then someone has to do it. Ergo, you know, the, the dropping out of primarily women, which is, is plays out with what we're seeing as well. So let's talk about what's growing and what's not growing as it concerns job growth, right? So you mentioned, you know, technology industries coming to Atlanta here in North Fulton. Of course, our focus, a lot of the companies up here, technology, fintech, uh, healthcare, um, that are, are growing, growing by leaps and bounds, but others aren't. Can you maybe talk about job growth and, and how it's been affected by COVID um, and even now coming back out of that? Yeah, I think one of one of the areas, obviously, we've seen the number one thing in here is transportation, warehousing, we'd call it. But, you know, all those, those Amazon fulfillment jobs, all those different warehouses, that huge boom we've had in demand for goods versus services means a lot of warehouses. The huge boom in demand we've had for online shopping. And people don't realize it, but Atlanta's way further west than most people realize. This is a weird stat. We are actually west of Columbus and Detroit. We are west of Detroit. You wouldn't look on a map and think that, but if you look carefully, you realize it. Because the East Coast, I mean, 
I hadn't really thought about this for a long time until I started looking them up and realizing, you know, the East Coast isn't north-south. Boston is massively east of us. Yeah, it is. And what that means is we're actually really well positioned for the Midwest, as well as the South, as being a huge logistics hub. And these are huge employers. This is a lot of jobs. You know, we think a, a tech company opens up an office and 200 jobs is a good thing. You know, Amazon opens in a warehouse and you're talking thousands of jobs. And the thing is, too, we have we have great port access here. Um, port of Savannah, of course, is, is actually another weird stat here. The third largest port in the country after L.A. and New York comes Savannah. And every, you ever ask someone that question, they, they'd look at you like you were crazy. They're like, wait, Savannah? And so... It's yeah. the only time you'll ever hear Savannah in the same sentence with LA and New York too. So there's that. <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of an amazing stat. And with all the problems in LA, every you right. know, all these shippers are looking to alternatives. And Savannah, with the growth in the South and manufacturing, you know, whether it's up in Greenville, Spartanburg, you know, the BMW plant, you drive down 85 there, all the way, you know along the 85 corridor into Alabama too. And of course we're in the middle there. Right. And yeah, we, we are seeing that those are some huge employers. And so definitely the, the logistics hub nature of Atlanta. I mean, that's how we start as a city. We're a railroad hub. That's right. Um, so we're a railroad hub. We have three highways here. We have the largest, second largest airport in the world after Beijing. Um, we were first. I know. Mars. How'd they take that? Uh, you know, one billion COVID. people. Yeah. <laughs> um, we can't compete with a billion people that. on that. But we're pretty close to them. Yeah. We don't exactly have a billion people in this country. Um, yeah. And and the Port of Savannah. So you put all those together. And where we are geographically, we're a really logical logistics hub. And so, yeah, that's a lot of jobs. But the problem is for manufacturers right now, they aren't having a demand problem. They're having a labor supply problem. And so, you know, you look at someone working manufacturing, driving trucks, forklifts around a plant, that's basically the same thing you do in a warehouse. And so a lot of these manufacturers are struggling to fill the jobs because there's been such strong growth in that warehousing space. Um, and, and so, and they're just, they need more labor basically. I think another space we're not seeing back yet. Um, we are definitely behind the country in terms of the hotel recovery. These are hotel markets much more, you know, conventions and business travel. And those are, those are well behind. I think we, we did have the, whatever, the huge merchandising mart mm -hmm, downtown. Yeah. yeah. Uh, a couple of weeks ago. And I think, I think their attendance was somewhere in the order of 50, 60,000 they got. I don't quote me on that. I, I'd have to double check that stat, but that was, that was down from normal, but it was still a very strong attendance. So hopefully we're, we're seeing that this year really coming back as people kind of just you know, accept the reality that this isn't going away. Right. Right. And try to stay safe while they, while we're having things like Omicron <laughs> coming around. Um, we talked, uh, a, a course about, uh, the housing market here in North Fulton, as you mentioned, you know, we know there are fewer homes available. So, you know, goodness, what is the solution in 2022? We know that housing prices then will continue to go up because there are fewer houses available. Correct. I mean, I guess has I, I, it hit its it's peak. I don't think we've hit peak yet. I think okay. there's probably, well, first of all, right now in terms of inflation, inflation's running um, the order of six, 7% right now. I think that's going to slow down a bit next year. Cause we're, we're losing some of the durable goods piece, but the trend though, both um, labor is going to stay tight. That'll drive wage inflation and housing. I think will drive some inflation there. Um, but we, we are, we are seeing a lot of issues in terms of supply 
where if you think about it, it's kind of a weird mental model, but I think it's kind of cool to think about, okay, if you're some town like in Silicon Valley, this is kind of a good example. And you're a hundred thousand person town or city out there. You probably have, you know, 70, 60 houses on the market there at any one time. If you're Atlanta, Dallas, traditionally these kind of markets you probably have close to a, you know, 500 to a thousand houses. And so what that means is, okay, you say, okay, there's like 10 times as many houses available. What does that mean? Well, it means like maybe you have buyers typically for 500 or a thousand houses. You have about that many buyers. So you need like the typical buyer to be able to afford a house there. If you have a really tight supply, you just need those top 10, 20% of buyers to afford a house. It's not like the average person sort of gets priced out. And so you can have a run up in prices and affordability for those top 10, 20% is they can, they can afford it a bit more. The other thing with the 6% inflation, what that means is you borrow money at 3%, you have 6% inflation. You're basically getting a 3% return on that money. You're getting that difference. Like, you know, traditional bank lending is basically inflation plus some sort of margin. And instead now from a real terms, you'd say inflation adjusted terms, essentially the bank's paying you to borrow money. Um, and until that, you heard it here, folks. <laughs> yeah, I can't, I'm a banker. I'm a former banker. Um, you know, I, I still think, think in those terms and, and it's kind of crazy. So I think affordability is still okay on a monthly basis, but it's getting worse. It's particularly getting worse around here at the lower end of the housing market. So whether it's, um, apartments and renting or it's, it's, you know, people buying and definitely depending on where you are in income demographics and the type of housing you're looking at, that gap and what it costs to rent a low end apartment versus what it costs to rent a high end apartment is narrowed a lot. And so for people at the lower end of the housing market, it's getting a lot tougher. It's interesting. I spoke to a, uh, one of our realtors yesterday and, and, you know, she's talking about how much harder her job is with folks who are entering the job market. So these are first time home buyers and in some, in many cases, but you know, everybody's got that dream, right? You want to own your own home. It's, it's what the American dream is, is built on. And um, unfortunately with very few homes in that, in that area or in that price range, then, you know, the, the sprawl, continues right so uh here we are in north fulton and alpharetta and so you know to get a house in the four hundred thousands, we're talking about having to go to dawsonville um or way out to woodstock <clears throat> and so it is i mean that's a concern right so now we're back to as people go back to work traffic and and the things that you know you and i as chambers focus on and and try to avoid so it's an interesting sort of cycle yes it's a it's a good problem and at the same time causes some real serious issues as well yeah i mean there is kind of this reality that the further you go out the more you go in excerpts the average miles people drive just goes up almost exponentially and so what that means is the cost to government of building those roads keeps going up almost exponentially as well and so in some ways, yeah, we need to think about density. We need to think about, you know, people think of density in terms of building big apartment towers. It doesn't have to mean that. You look, right. some of the densest neighborhoods in the U.S. are just basically row houses. Um, D.C. is know. a great example. Uh, yep. That's that's my hometown. Yeah. Um, well, I was more grew up in Fairfax County, but uh, Northern Virginia, I know D.C. well. And and yeah, I mean, a lot of it's, there's a lot of density with row houses and town. I mean, the modern version is basically townhomes. Yeah. And we can build that and think about how do we... How do we think about, you know, cutting people's commutes down, getting stuff where everything they need, whether it's schools and everything else. And the other thing I believe in, and this will be a little bit of a heretical view up here in, in, in North Fulton, 
is street grids and connected streets that, you know, we can't have every single neighborhood have dead end streets because the problem is that once you have one cut through, everyone takes the one cut through. If you live somewhere with a street grid, which, you know, DC is and, and plenty of places, other places I've lived, um, when every street's a cut through, it works. The problem is you can either, you sort of end up with one extreme or the other. And then, um, that ship has sailed my friends. Yes. Yes. Yeah. We can't really retrofit a no, street grid. That's North really Fulton. hard to do. I don't think that's going to be happening <laughs> up here. Um, speaking specifically about North Fulton, of course, we know and are proud of the fact that we're one of the most economically sound areas really in the state. Um, so Maybe a view of North Fulton, the six cities of North Fulton, and how we compare to the rest of Georgia or the rest of the country um, from that economic outlook. Yeah, I think I think certainly you know tech is having its moment and does not seem to have really faded yet in terms of hiring. So certainly you know that's North Fulton professional services in general um, across the board, and obviously that's that's a big part of what happens up here is is definitely having a good moment in terms of growth nationwide. Um, you're, it's more the the reallocation of labor where we're seeing big shifts is more in the kind of blue-collar manufacturing, warehousing kind of stuff, um, um, fast food, restaurants. That's where we're seeing real shifts. Um, now, North, North Fulton is definitely well-positioned. I think we certainly have heard though when we've talked to employers around here is you know they're they're a little concerned like their employees look to move here. One employer I, I can think of in particular moved moved their headquarters here not too long ago, and their employees said, "Wait, I thought Atlanta was really cheap." Right, um, and they said, um, "What I'm seeing anywhere close to here is it's not so cheap." I said, well. Atlanta's very, I was like, it's the best high schools in the state. North Fulton has the best high schools in the state. That's right. Um, But you do pay for that. (laughs) Yeah. And that's exactly why, you you know, you've got, we're the highest education in the state, the highest. And so you look at that and recognize what's, you know, what's created sort of that perfect storm up here and the the cost of living certainly is part of that. Um, I still wouldn't choose anywhere else to live. So (laughs) that's okay. Well, let's, let's, I want to open it up to you. Um, We've talked about a number of things, of course, but other significant drivers that you think are going to affect the economy in, in 2022. Um, I think, I think a couple things. One, I think we, we've gotten used to cheap natural gas. Um, I think, realistically we are um we aren't going back to that cheap natural gas is probably gas is you know north of four dollars a million for a million btus we were down around two before that's what we gotten used to um that was really funded by a fracking boom partly just not just gas fracking like they're frack for gas in somewhere like near pittsburgh right but also the oil fracking out in West Texas, um, because a lot of times they pull up gas with oil. And so they don't even have to be drilling for gas. They're not even have to make money on the gas. The gas is just a co-product, something that they make money on. But realistically, a lot of what investors got burned really badly a few years ago in that space. And they're not coming back in terms of drilling in the same way. And the other thing we've done as a country is we've really increased our demand for gas massively. One, we've shifted our power grid. This has been part of the greening of the U.S. power grid is, you know, we've gotten rid of a lot of coal. Um, That's great. Um, Certainly, there's plenty of externalities that come with coal, even even excluding the whole global warming thing. You know, it's mercury and, and soot and all sorts of other nasty pollutants. And so it's great from an environmental standpoint. And gas plays well with, with wind and solar because essentially gas is easy to turn on and off. So when the wind doesn't blow, you turn on the gas plant. It's a great backup plan. Um, but we've also decided we're going to make a lot more chemicals in the U.S. That's been great. Um, but that uses a lot of gas. 
And we went from a natural gas importer to the largest gas exporter in five years. And that's kind of a crazy thing because you realize each of those gas exporting plants we've built is north of a billion dollars. They are utterly massive facilities. Um, and there's strong demand globally for gas. But the problem is all of a sudden now, you know, we, we have, there's very strong demand globally. U.S. gas prices are still cheap compared to the rest of the country. Um, but it, it also, for everyone, it isn't just your home heating bill, by the way. Right. It is your power bill. That's really what, what you're talking about. It is what it costs you to have chemicals and make plastics that go into everything you think of. So you think of gas price and it seems like, oh, that doesn't really affect me. I mean, okay, it's 10 bucks extra on my power bill in, in winter. Nothing, no big deal. No, it's actually all sorts of other things you use every single day that you just don't realize it's gas. It's fertilizer. Mm -hmm. Um, Here's a problem. So we are, um, but we're still relatively affordable there, but it also means we have this huge increase in demand and the, the drillers just got burned pretty badly. So they're a lot more hesitant to go back. And so, yeah, we're, we're in a point where I don't think cheap natural gas is coming back. Um, But I do think there's a good thing coming is the electric car revolution is starting to really take off. Absolutely. We see a lot of that up here. Yeah, I mean we're at we're at roughly four percent of sales recently. I believe we're we're electric cars and 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 it's this there's this idea in technology. It's called the S curve. Google it. It's kind of fascinating. Um, and we're in this really fast adoption phase. So it's sort of it starts slow, starts slow, and then it takes off. And the reality is. Um, there's a whole bunch of cool vehicles coming out this coming year. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'll certainly hype Rivian. Um, Mac was involved in trying to again, getting yeah. Rivian to come to Georgia. Um, we're very proud of that. You watch their reviews on YouTube. They seem like some damn cool pickup trucks. Kind of the reviewers <laughs> say it's not quite a Wrangler off-roading, but it's better than an F-150, which I'm like, that, that's some serious praise. Um and so, but also, honestly, the F-150 Lightning is coming out, has very strong interest. It's getting into, you know, the biggest selling vehicles in America. Um, and the reality is, you know, we are very well positioned in the um, auto supply chain here. The auto supply chain really runs from Alabama up to um, up to Detroit and Ontario, Canada there, like Windsor, and over to South Carolina where, you know, BMW, everyone knows BMW and Spartanburg. Right. And you say it kind of surrounds us. We've got the Kia plant down on the Alabama border, but we don't, ha- we don't have that big a piece of that supply chain. And the reality is when you look at it, these vehicles, it's a totally different technology. It means all those, those metals, you think of all those metals, parts that are super precise in a car and all the lubrication, all those things happening and all those gaskets, they're all gone. That's right. They're not needed. And so it means all these plants are obsolete, but you need a whole new array of battery plants like that SK plant we're putting up on 85 way north here. Yeah. And so, you know, Georgia has an opportunity in um, particularly to push some of the benefits of, you know, Atlanta, our strength in Atlanta to those rural areas that are struggling a lot more in the state and trying to get that into, you know, into you know, down closer to Savannah. Although Savannah's having a great moment thanks to uh, all the warehouses they're building. Yeah, absolutely. So, With the port there, which we've already mentioned. So that makes a huge difference. Yeah, but I I think, you know, getting down towards Macon and Augusta mm-hmm. and all those places and, and further south in the state really is there is an opportunity as well as northwest Georgia yeah. um, to to really spread the benefits. Um, but and I think, you know, and I think here what we'd see here, though, what's North Fulton is, um, you know, the programming, what goes with it, all the software that comes with it, a lot of those things, and a lot of the engineering. Um, it always pays. You see Tesla moved, you know, Tesla's original headquarters was Palo Alto, basically on the one side of the Bay, Bay Area. On the other side of the Bay Area, they put their first plant, Fremont. 
They've now moved their headquarters to Austin, and they're putting a plant outside of Austin. Really innovative engineering companies oftentimes have their plants and their manufacturing process really close to their headquarters. Now, typically, you're going to want to put them not in the same place because you tend to have a different labor market. But we can be that piece. You know, North Fulton's more that other piece, the labor market, where we can get some of those technology, those engineering jobs here. Absolutely. No, and and we uh, are proud to, to be part of the um, electric vehicle movement with uh, the largest live track from the airport up through Alpharetta um, that, you know, is, is now functional. So it's, it's amazing to us as you see the growth in this and how fast, you know, the need is coming. And certainly the, the car dealers have, have embraced that. I mean, as evidenced by, you know, Ford coming out with a truck, that's an electric vehicle. And of course you mentioned Rivian. So yeah, Ford is certainly, they, they, they announced their F-150 lightning. That's their electric one. And then they um, they basically got asked for reservations, and then their the reservations were really strong, so they doubled production plans, and then they doubled them again. Yeah. And so we're seeing all these different dealers. I think the challenge will be for dealers is you know do a, the promise of electric vehicles is less maintenance because you don't have all those moving parts. Well, unless costing gas if you drive. Yeah, truck, less right? costing gas. So we'll see. You know, that's where the dealers make money. Dealers don't make money on selling; they make money on financing, and they make money on on maintenance. So you know, we'll see, we'll see how much that plays out. Yeah. I think the deal, the dealers might be a little nervous on but this. But it one. also changes the labor market supporting any type of automobile, right? Because you've gone from, as you mentioned, the gaskets and the parts that need oil and all those things to now it's a computer, right? And that's literally it's a a technology expert who goes in, runs the computer, and checks everything. So that the market then has to be retrained and upskilled, and and that looks different. So you're talking about something that shifts our economy, but also shifts the culture of the type of job. Oh yeah. I mean, the skill you're going to need for, to maintain electric cars is different. And you think like the biggest risk you have with an electric car is burning your hand. I mean, with a regular car is burning your hand when you're a a mechanic or something, you know, with an electric car, you got to electrocute yourself. Um, So it is something where you really need to be well-trained. You need some good skilled people and it's, we're going to have to transition a lot of workers at the same time. It's still like, Tires are still tires. Brakes are still brakes. The body work's still going to get in accidents. Um, Absolutely. So there's still a whole lot of the car is not changing. Well, Ian, you have been very entertaining for an economist, and I'm not sure. I think that's a compliment. It's meant to be one. (laughs) I have enjoyed our conversation very much, and I'm sure others are going to want to follow you or connect with you. Can you just tell us where we can find you? Um, Maybe website, social media. What's the best place to look for Ian Wyatt? So I am... Ian D. Wyatt on, um, on Twitter and, um, feel free to follow me there. Um, we'll also put out emails with Mac and stuff. We're plenty of stuff at Mac. We're putting up on events and, you know, we love partnering with, uh, the greater North Fulton chamber of commerce. They're great partners in development here. We really look at ourselves as a team, um, trying to pull companies and jobs and, and help grow this area faster and fairer. hundred percent. No, we appreciate our relationship with y'all as well. And you guys have a great team. So it's good when you can collaborate and benefit everybody. And I think that's what we do. Ian, I appreciate you joining me today. Um, I have enjoyed it. As I mentioned, I also want to thank all of our listeners for joining us on the GNFCC 400 insider presented by the greater North Fulton chamber. To listen to this show again, or to hear any of our previous episodes, visit gnfcc400insider.com. 
To find out more about the Greater North Fulton Chamber events and programs, you can always visit gnfcc.com. Until next time, I'm Callie Boatwright, and this has been the GNFCC 400 Insider on Business Radio X. Thank <laughs> you.